Our guest is Phoenix City Councilman, former assistant of police chief Kevin Robinson, who will talk about uh, those two careers and the transition from one to the other when we are with him in just a moment in the Think Tank. From KTAR News, this is The Think Tank, hosted by Dr. Mike O'Neill. We're going to have uh, former Assistant Chief Kevin Robinson, now City Councilman, on with us in just a minute. But I wanted to start out, there is a kind of a police tie-in here. I want to note, in passing, a one-time guest on this show, Phoenix Police Captain Carol Cooley. The name is probably not known to most of you, but when I tell you, in effect, the rest of the story, it will become evident. When he was an officer, he was involved in what was a otherwise a fairly routine arrest in a rape case, a case that was ultimately uh, appealed to the Supreme Court. The conviction was thrown out, and uh, the convicted person was Ernesto Miranda, which is probably a name that will ring a bell. Uh, the net result of that Captain Cooley, then Officer Cooley, or he may have been a sergeant at the time, I think, felt very injured by this because he argued, I think correctly, that he followed what was uh, standard police practice at the time. There was no Miranda warning. Um, The arrested person was not advised of his various rights, including the right to an attorney. And that was uh, used as a basis of this case, along with several others, in really improving policing in this country by requiring the that basically the people who are less aware of what their rights were would still would still get to uh, appeal them. By the way, Miranda was guilty of sin. He was by that time uh, in jail for another uh, event, and uh, eventually he uh, was stabbed in a bar fight in an old dive bar on the location where uh, the Phoenix Suns Arena currently exists. Colorful figure and a little piece of uh, Arizona history and our tribute to uh, Police Captain Carol Kulik, sort of footnote to American legal history. So, uh, Kevin Robinson, want to welcome you to the show. Uh, you had a, a 30-plus year as a police officer in Phoenix, rising up to the rank of assistant chief. You're now on the city council. What's it like being on the other—you're sort of on the board of directors now for, among other things, the police department. Uh, how are you weathering that change? Well, first of all, Mike, thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. And, um, you know, condolences to the uh, Carol Cooley's family. Um, the tribute you paid to him was exceptional. I had the privilege of meeting him briefly one time, and you know the impact he had on modern law enforcement. You know it it, it was instrumental. I mean it's tremendous, and well, it was nice to pay tribute. I remember, you know, he felt he was in here. He he felt very unfairly maligned. Uh, in this, yeah. in the sense that what he did, as near as I can tell, he said it was, and as near as I could tell, that was true. It was pretty standard police procedure. Uh, you know, Miranda w- w- warning was did not exist, uh, um, and uh, it, it was actually multiple cases that came together for the Supreme Court. For some reason, Miranda became the uh, sort of the named the part of rod. it, and uh, you know, gave him his sort of moment of fame. He he had these business cards. You you probably got one printed up where he, you know, it was Miranda rights, and he he signed the back of the card. I've got one of right. them. You may have gotten one as well. So yeah. he. Um, 
But made something. He felt like he, the system had, you know, unduly blamed him. And he was, but I think he, you know, he was focusing on his case, saying, you know, I did what we were all supposed to do at the time. And of course, yeah. the case really wasn't about him. It, right. it was about uh, what our evolving standards of due process uh, became over a period of time. And I think most people agree that uh, the net result of a lot of that is better policing. You, you don't, it, it you don't trick been. people into confessions. You, you produce evidence. Correct. And it, you know, it's, I think law enforcement is all the better for it. At the time when it occurred, you know, a lot of law enforcement felt we'll never be able to convict someone ever again. And that clearly wasn't the case. But um, I, I didn't mean to take you off course on our interview, but it, I just thought it was an apt tribute that you paid to um, Captain Cooley because, um, you know, he he made a difference in law enforcement, mm-hmm. you know, even to this day. May not have been the difference he intended. but uh, Yeah, that's true. But, uh, but um, yes, I spent 36 and a half years with the Phoenix Police Department starting back in hitting the streets in December of 1980 and ended up retiring after 36 and a half years, leaving the force oh, six years ago. It was June of 2018 and during that time i had the the pleasure and i truly felt that's what it was to serve the citizens of phoenix at every rank from officer to sergeant lieutenant commander and assistant chief and i worked in every practically every aspect of the phoenix police department every bureau and division and worked in a bunch of different patrol precincts so i always felt i had a really good feel for our city and the opportunity presented itself for me to run for city council. And I realized, and it wasn't something I had thought about doing. I never dreamt about being on the city council or anything along those lines. Um, some folks presented the idea to me, and I sat back and thought about it. And thinking about my exposure as a police officer with the Phoenix Police Department, having worked in all the various neighborhoods and communities with businesses and with all the other city departments, I came to the realization that I could do a good job on the city council. And I started out to run for office. And fortunately, things came to a positive conclusion. And here I sit, having been in office now in the middle of the ninth week um, as a city council person. Let me ask you if you've had any exposure to, and this is sort of the question that bridges your sort of two professions, the Phoenix Police Department's currently under federal investigation for some potential abuses. Are you, are you engaged in that at all as somebody who has some sort of special knowledge on the council? Yes. Um, well, I, I, I will be. I hope to be. I will be. Um, ironically enough, um, Mayor Kate Gallego and I were just in a meeting. She and I meet on a monthly basis, and that was one of the um, first issues that we discussed. Um, she is hoping that I will take a, a larger role in this with the um, in this whole pro issue with um, the Department of Justice. I'm talking to people inside of the Department of Justice here in the in the Valley, doing a little bit of everything, bringing me more up to speed on um, issues related to the Department of Justice when they look at a police department. A report came out just this past week on the Department of Justice's review of the Minneapolis Police Department. I knew, I understood the Minneapolis Police Department had done some work there with them. So I, you know, I, I look at these things and I think all of this combined allows me to be not necessarily a, a topic expert, 
but somebody who has some insight into some of these issues. Can you explain to us, uh, most people probably only vaguely aware of this, what, what's, the, what's the precipitating event and, and what is that investigation about? Well, um, there were complaints, and there's not a police agency in the country that doesn't get complaints from folks, and I think that's good. Um, complaints give they give a police agency an opportunity to look at itself, make sure it's doing things the right way. And there were some complaints about how the Phoenix Police Department disposed of property of um, folks, folks who are unhoused. Uh, people who are sleeping on the streets and such when they would get arrested or something would happen. So there was a question about that, which I understand. And what we have to understand is that somebody who is unhoused, unsheltered, or living on the streets, their belongings, everything that they have to say who they are, any kind of ID and such, it may be in that property. And there is an allegation that the police department was not or did not practice due diligence when dealing with those individuals and in, in their properties. So that's one part of it. Then um, we went through a period of time when the Phoenix Police Department was involved in several officer-involved shootings. And there's a question from certain groups as to whether or not that use of force was necessary. So when those things occur, and that's what happened here in Phoenix, and I'm sure there were some other complaints, the Department of Justice has an obligation, justifiably so, to look at that police department and say, hey, is there an issue here? Is there a problem? I think they their policy isn't it they don't they don't go after an individual incident they only get involved if there's some evidence of systemic issues correct correct and you know they felt that there was enough of a pattern with some incidents here in Phoenix it it, it deserved a look and that's what they have been doing now they they've been in town for some time They've worked with or working with the police department. They're talking to individual officers. I know they're speaking with the public. So what they're trying to do is um, develop an understanding of the Phoenix Police Department, both from those inside the organization and those outside of the organization. Then they make a determination based on the information they glean from all of those groups as to what, you know, what next steps may be, you know, may be necessary. I look at a lot of things like this. The thing I always think that's a shame about it is uh, uh, v various entities sort of on both sides of it ju jump in at the beginning and take kind of predictable positions on both sides. And I look at something like this and I say, you know, if you've got an investigation, investigate. <laughs> Let the chips fall where they may, but but investigate first and reach conclusions later on. Yeah, and I have personally, I have enough confidence in the Department of Justice that they will do just that. Mm -hmm. And I've worked with them over the years. I've um, had the opportunity to, to go through some leadership programs with them. So they're going to do the right things. That I'm not overly worried about. It's just how the decision is going to have to come down as to you know how we deal with the recommendations that they make. Mm -hmm. Any idea of the time frame? Have they given any hint on the time frame for, for no, completion? No, I have no idea what that might mm -hmm. be. We touched briefly on the homeless issue. That's obviously a big issue before the council right now. What's your senses of what the city has been doing and how well they've been handling that? Well, you know, obviously this is not a problem that came about in the last several months. Absolutely not. This, this is years yeah, in the making. Exactly. And I believe, and this is looking at, in a total, you know, from a to total sense, the city has been doing everything it humanly possibly can do. 
Um, there are still other opportunities. And the one thing I have found, and I found this out during my campaign for the office, knowing that the um, homeless issue was a big deal and would continue to be a big deal. One thing I found from speaking to experts within the city, experts in the nonprofit arena, just a little bit of everybody, is that it's going to take a collaboration. It, one entity cannot solve this problem by itself. The city has been doing a great job in partnering with a host of organizations and individuals to, um, you know, to work our way out of these problems. I have numerous citizens, residents within Council District 6 who have stepped up, who have called, who have written, and who have said that they want to do what they can to help. So we see that there is a way to deal with this problem. We just now have to bring everyone together, um, clearly delineate what people need to do, what organizations, what cities need to do, and to start moving in that direction. Now, we have to keep in mind that not every single person who is unsheltered, who is homeless, who's out on the street, not everyone is looking for help. Some of them just are going to want to be there, and we deal with those folks. Um, I, you know, it is what it is. You know, it's like this around the country. I, I just returned from a trip to Europe and, you know, a vacation for my wife and some friends and issues are there. You know, we're in London, we're in Paris, we're in a host of different cities. They have, they have the same issues, different scales, different levels, and they're all doing the same things as well. They're, they're bringing groups together, looking at the problems, figuring out how they got there and figuring what can we do to solve the problem and make those solutions sustainable. And the thing that I've learned from talking to experts is that it is not one problem. You have some people have drug problems. Um, some people are just, uh, you know, had an economic downturn. You often got hit with a medical bill or an illness or something, and they were marginal and they couldn't pay their rent. Some of them, you know, have mental illness issues. Uh, and as you said, some of them, and some of this is probably related to mental illness, just don't want to be in any kind of institutionalized. That will reject shelters because they're too, quote, restrictive or something. That's very true. And we have to understand that, you know, we have to at least offer people options for solutions. And we, you know, we need to be in a position where we can say we can help you. Now, you mentioned um, the folks who are unhoused. My understanding is the two fastest groups, the fastest growing groups of people who are unhoused are the elderly, people who, like you just mentioned, people who, for whatever reason, it could be a catastrophic hospital hospitalization event and the ensuing, you know, cost of that. You know, they're on a fixed income. One thing doesn't work. Something else happens. You know, next thing you know, they find themselves out on the street. It could be increased rent. It could be any number of things. And rents have right. been going up. That's part of it. Yeah, exactly. we, I mean, We've had some pretty substantial rent increases. And if you had a fixed income and you were just getting by, it could push you over the edge. Exactly. And then I'm also being told that um, the fastest growing group of young people who are out on the streets are those who are aging out of the foster care system. And so, you know, we have to sit back and look at who these folks are and understand. I understand. And one of the reasons I opted to get into politics is I believe it's, you know, it's my responsibility as a representative of the people to do the best I can at helping those who are the most vulnerable out there. 
And, you know, we have a we, we need to look. We need to continue to look. And it's a promise I made to the constituents when I was on the campaign trail, and I'm going to follow through with it. So I'm going to look for options to help solve these problems. Now, you know, looking for those opportunities for collaboration, for partnerships, it may seem like um, it's too little. But I think as we all come together and everyone has the same, you know, ultimate goal in mind, I believe that we can truly make a dent in what we see out on the streets when it comes to our homeless population. Other cities have done it. They have, and they've had great successes at it. And I just think it's an opportunity for us, because Phoenix has always been one of those cities that has led the way. This is an opportunity for us to continue or to look for new partnerships and to, you know, push ahead and to try to help as many folks as we possibly can. Well, it's interesting you mentioned other cities as model. That's always a, a good way to approach, find out who's who's dealt with something in the past with some success. What came st- came to mind when you thought of cities that that uh, that have had success in this area, and what have what is it that they've done? Well, Houston. I, I remember reading an article out of the New York Times. It was a series about how Houston cut its homeless population by, and I could be wrong on this number, but I thought it was something like 65, 65% in a two-year time span. And so I was reading, I remember reading the series, and it was a series that it was out last year. What Houston did is exactly what we're talking about. They were able to very precisely figure out what do we need to do. They said they want to reduce their homeless population. And how do we do that? We do that by coming together. We do that by collaboration. We do that by understanding why and how people are are unsheltered. How did they get there? And we talked about rents. Rents is a real big part of it. We talked about drug abuse. Drug abuse is a real big part of it. Um, a happenstance, people just, you know, being pushed out of where they live based on, you know, increasing rent costs on all those other things, everything that's related to it. They took a hard look at all those issues. And by collaborating with folks in every aspect, they were able to help the people who wanted help. They were able to help people who were on the streets because of a drug abuse problem and get them the necessary counseling that they wanted. And that's going to be the issue. They're going to have to want this. They're going to have to work for it. It's not a, you know, it has to be a two-way street. Both parties have to, you know, be working towards and, the same And goal. I think in some cases you'll encounter people who want it. In other cases, you'll encounter people whose attitude is leave me alone. Exactly. And when that happens, you leave them alone. But those people who want to be out there, one thing they need to understand, and everyone needs to understand this, but if they break the law, they're probably going to get arrested. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, they're going to be dealt with that way. So it's not a, uh, it's not a pass to be able to go out and do whatever you want and discard or just um, ignore, ignore the laws that are in place. You know, I feel for the businesses who are impacted by, you know, uh, you know, the homeless population mm-hmm. maybe camped around their business, which yep. then slows their business down. We have to look at all of those things and try to come to a conclusion. Mm-hmm as to what can we best do to decrease, to help solve, you know, the number of people who are unhoused yeah. on our streets. In I, I had a, a personal incident. I own a small office, run a business out of it, and uh, was out walking behind. It's a it's a sort of a garden office. and out walking behind my office one night, and uh, there's somebody there, a kid, young kid, 20-something. And uh, the first thing he said, do you want me to leave? 
homeless. He was sleeping back there. It's a grassy area. I had a long conversation with the guy, and uh, uh, he was homeless by choice. He said, I like living like this. You know, he had his own situation. You know, he had a bedroll and stuff like that, and we had a long conversation, and I said, you know, I'm I'm okay with this. Uh, you know, you uh, <laughs> you don't use this backyard as your bathroom. Uh, you and you know what? If you he had a cell phone, even I said, "All right, you're our night watchman. So you you see something, you call us. Okay, uh, <laughs> you call me if if the, the you know the police come by and see you there and try to as you know as long as you're as long as you're behaving, um, I can live with this." And um, and and it was interesting because here was somebody who. You know, there's maybe something not 100% normal, but he seemed to have made a conscious uh, decision to have. He had his whole lifestyle, and, you know, he, he knew where to go to shower and things like that, and um, and sort of people in the neighborhood knew him. And it's, it's just yeah. you kind of scratch your head and you say, okay, there's there's a difference there. And uh, But I was, I was really uh, – the, given the first thing he said, you know, and the first thing you, you encounter somebody, it's in the dark, whatever, you're, you're just a little bit frightened because you don't know who you're dealing with. And, you know, immediately, you know, do you want me to leave, which, you know, completely put me at ease. But, yeah. um, you know, that's just one little part of the home. Here's a guy who's kind of worked out something that seems to work for him. Um, yeah. And that we have to understand that there are going to be folks like that out there. Mm -hmm. And my guess is, you know, once we are able to help folks to get to a position where they can help themselves, mm -hmm. that's the key to everything. Mm -hmm. I'm not suggesting by any means that we give people everything that they will you know, need to sustain themselves from this point forward. Mm -hmm. I'm suggesting we give people an opportunity to help themselves mm -hmm. to um, go that next level. And this young man that you're talking about, you know, I, I got to say, I got to appreciate how he approached the situation with you by saying, hey, if you want me to leave, I'll leave. Mm -hmm. You know, that that's great. He's making a decision on his own to, you know, by his own volition to live like that. It's going to be the other folks who are pushed mm -hmm. into that because of something, maybe something catastrophic in their lives, mm -hmm. that they're now homeless. And how do they get around? You know, is it safe for them? There's mm -hmm. just so many issues that I think that we need to at least mm -hmm. understand as to why people find themselves in that situation. And then... Mm -hmm sit back and try to figure out what can we do to help them. I, and they'll be helping themselves as well. It's not, again, it's not a one-way street where we're doing everything, but that collaboration of um, government, citizens, private organizations, a little bit of everybody coming together, I think is going to be the solution to the problem. Wow. Anything else on your agenda up there? We've got a minute or so left. You know, it's, um, we are being responsive to the needs of the constituents in District 6. And constantly, I'm going out to some high schools, meeting with the principals this this week and next week because of some programs. We want to make sure there are opportunities for high school students in the district. So we're trying to do as much as we possibly can to be responsive to the needs of the residents and the businesses in the council district answering the phones, responding to people, getting the answers to their questions. You know, that's what that's what representation is about. I want to thank you very much. Hope you come back again sometime. You're an interesting fella, and uh, sounds like you've got a future in uh, Phoenix politics. Kevin Robinson has been our guest here, and thank you very much for joining us here on The Think Tank. Thank you, Michael.